The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the son of man may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. 
When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, Believed in him. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Yesterday, seven of us from Trinity made our way into Boston for the electing convention. And we left here about 730 in the morning, I guess. And the gathering started with the Eucharist at nine o'clock. And we got back around four o'clock. It was uh, quite a day. Uh, we did elect a bishop. You'll be happy to know uh, the Reverend Alan Gates, who is uh, a priest in the Diocese of Ohio and serves a very large and thriving parish in the Cleveland area. Uh, Rob Bacon, Becky Gettle, Maureen Kameza, Judy Crumey, Mary Thorpe, Wynne Wilbur and myself were the delegation from Trinity. Uh, just to tell you a little bit about Alan Gates, he's a graduate of uh, Middlebury uh, and the Episcopal Divinity School. He served with the State Department for a period of time as an intelligence analyst and also a Russian linguist. He has served parishes in the Diocese of uh, Massachusetts, Chicago, Western Massachusetts and Ohio. And he and his wife, Patricia, have two children. So for the first time in nearly 20 years, we will not only have a bishop, but we'll also have a bishop spouse as a part of the diocese. So it was a, it was a great day. Uh, it was uh, fraught with some difficulty. The first ballot, it was determined, had been improperly tallied. That was not reported to the convention until we had done our third ballot. And then we had to take a long break while they figured out what to do about this uh, bad first ballot. 
there was great concern that the numbers on that ballot might have influenced the way people voted on subsequent ballots. In the meantime, four people had withdrawn, and the standing committee and the bishop came back with the idea and the parliamentarian that what needed to be done was to invalidate uh, the ballots uh, in, uh, subsequent to the first ballot, recompute the first ballot, and have one more ballot. And everybody was back in. So these four people who had withdrawn were once again on the ballot. Uh, it really didn't make any difference in the outcome because uh, from the beginning, uh, Alan Gates was leading in the election. I tell you all of that because I think it's important for us as a part of the diocese to have a sense of this very important time uh, that we are in, a time of transition, a time of thanksgiving for the wonderful uh, ministry of Bishop Tom. And also to pray for him and for Bishop Select, Bishop Elect Allen, as they enter into this time of transition. And now turning to uh, the lesson for today from the gospel. I'm sure that all of us have probably heard of people, may even know someone who has had a near-death experience. Uh, they're reported in many different ways. Uh, and often they have quite uh, similar, great similarities one to another. I don't know anyone personally who has had that kind of experience. But uh, one uh, account that I found particularly interesting was that of Dr. Eben Alexander, a neurologist, who uh, also happens to be an Episcopalian. He had acquired a very serious form of meningitis. And in the process of that uh, was in a coma and he says that looking at his brain scan, he was dead. And then not to go into detail about his account of this near death experience. But what I think is so important from what I have read of him is that from that experience, now his life is very different. Nothing is the same for him after having experienced that his understanding of God and of God's love, his understanding of his relationship with other people. All of that has been transformed in some way and especially transformed around the idea of the love of God, an unconditional love that is available for all of us. In an interview, he says this, God, that divine spark of awareness in each and every one of us is a very direct link to heaven right here on earth. That's why God's love is within each and every one of us. When we don't attach conditions to this love and we let it be pure and flow from that all loving source, that infinite power brings us healing in tremendous ways. And I think he says that in part because of the way that he was healed from that uh, bout of uh, very serious meningitis. But I think his words have a lot of uh, power and they contain a great deal of truth. There's something about the love of God that is not just something that makes us feel good, but which is, in fact, healing to us. Well, in today's gospel, we have the picture of another person who has died. Uh, this person was very dead, according to the text. It's Lazarus, Jesus' friend, uh, someone that it says he loved. But this story, I think, serves a very special purpose, especially in the Gospel of John. This is the last of the great signs that are presented in John's Gospel. And those signs or miracles always were pointing toward God 
And we're always an opportunity for people to see how powerful and how loving and how really grace filled God was and the grace that God would pour upon God's people. So this is the last of those signs. But for us, I think it serves as another uh, purpose. It is a sort of narrative bridge that takes us into Holy Week. And because in this passage we have uh, hints at what is to come. And certainly we must remember that it is uh, this particular sign that upsets the Jews so much, the Jewish authorities, that is, so much that they decide that they need to kill Jesus. Because we hear toward the end of that reading that there were many who were turned toward God and understanding him as the Messiah. And for that, uh, many in authority, Roman and at the temple, were very concerned. I've always found this passage to be particularly uh, powerful for me. Uh, when we were living in Turkey, we didn't have much to distract us in the evening. There was no television. There wasn't much on the radio. And I found myself reading more scripture than I've probably read uh, since on a regular basis. I would, I would read it almost every night. And I was so struck by reading Genesis and coming on through the Old Testament and seeing the power of that scripture. And then when I finally got over to this story, it's as though I'd never heard it before. I'm sure I had. But when I read about Jesus weeping for his friend, I saw, for, I think for the first time, the humanity of Jesus in a way that really connected with me. Well, I, I remember that uh, in passing, I mentioned to our priest in Izmir uh, how I had reacted to that uh, story in the gospel. And he says, well, you know, Jesus wasn't weeping over the death of Lazarus because he knew he was going to raise him. But rather, Jesus was weeping because of the unbelief of those that were around him. Well, that's certainly one interpretation. But for me, I'm going to hold on to the other because I think what Jesus was experiencing was not only the sense of loss for that friend and in doing so, helping us understand that he knows what loss is. He, he experienced loss in his own life. He knows the loss that we have and the pain that that loss causes, how it tears open our heart. But I think he also was aware of the fact that he, along with all of these people, many of them his friends, found themselves in a situation where God's glory would be revealed. But in the process of that, there would be pain and loss. And I think that made him sad. So there's that human aspect of Jesus that we see, I believe, in that account that, that I believe shows us the human Jesus in a way that we don't see him in other places in the gospel. But we also see Jesus as divine in this passage. Uh, Lazarus, uh, you'll remember from the reading, has been in the tomb for four days and they're concerned that if they open it up, the stench is going to be so bad. And also, at that time, the understanding was that after three days, the soul had left the person who had died. So Lazarus was dead, dead as a doornail. <laughs> and Jesus goes to the tomb, directs that that stone be removed anyway, and he calls Lazarus out and he comes out. And it's almost like the pictures of these mummies in the old movies with, uh, you know, all the wrappings around them and around his head. 
And then he asks others to free him, to take those wrappings off. Well, that was not the act of a mere mortal. That was the act of God. And it was the act of God's anointed. And people saw it as that. So at the same time, there's this human Jesus who could feel pain and knew what loss was about. But there was also the anointed one who was there revealing the glory of God. And I think because of that, he was seen as such a threat to those who wanted to maintain control. There's a, uh, an interesting thing also in this, in this particular gospel. Uh, Jesus says to Martha, she, she first, when she hears him say that her brother is going to be resurrected, she says, oh, I get that. <laughs> we all know that at the last day there will be the resurrection of the righteous. And Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection. And that was an amazing statement. But it was something that I think we need to understand. When we have our, our burial office, the burial service of the church, often the service begins with the reading of some anthems. And the first one is this. I am resurrection and I am life, says the Lord. Whoever has faith in me shall have life, even though he die. And everyone who has life and has committed himself to me in faith shall not die forever. I'm sure many people have heard those words read as the, as the casket or the urn is being brought into the church and wondered, how is that possible? That just seems so counterintuitive. But I think it's possible if we realize that the resurrection is now. It is not something in the future. That eternal life is given to us now. And it's given to us because of the love of God in Christ. I think it's extremely important for us to see that there is nothing, and this is what Paul says in Romans, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, not even death. The faith that we hold is a faith that says that God's love is with us even in the grave. Well, as I prepared this sermon on Friday, I was conscious of all those who had, whose life paths had crossed my life over the last few weeks, and many of them uh, searching and uh, trying to find hope, trying to find newness of life where there seemed to be uh, deadness and no life, people in need of resurrection. The platitudes which we are prone to offer don't work. In fact, they hurt. And many times I think that the only thing that I have to offer is to simply say that God's love will somehow sustain you. It will somehow sustain you. And often we don't realize that we were sustained by it until we look back, sometimes many days, many months later. But we see that God's love was truly there. Yesterday, uh, Friday, I worked on the sermon. It wasn't quite there. I was not very happy with it. And so the, it became sort of a joke among our delegation that I was uh, hoping and praying for some revelation during the <laughs> during the convention. And uh, the day went on and I didn't uh, get much revelation. <laughs> we just had more problems with ballots, it seemed. 
And then uh, the, the dean of the cathedral, in the, as we were waiting for these ballots to be counted, would have us stand up and sing hymns. And we did this over and over and over again. And finally, the convention started to resist. So everything got quiet. And in the midst of that, someone started to sing, Jesus loves me. Now, I don't know if that's a part of your childhood. It was certainly a part of mine. As I think back to the earliest songs that I learned as a child, it was uh, Pony Boy (laughs) and Jesus Loves Me. And as I thought about that, uh, it was so appropriate for us as a convention. But it's appropriate for us here now as well. It is the very basis of our faith. It is the first thing that we should teach a child. It is an extremely important song for all of us to have in our heart. Now, I didn't ask the folks at eight o'clock to sing, (laughs) but I promised them that I would ask you to sing. (laughs) Robert is going to lead us in Jesus loves me and and take those words in and know that they are for you today.